Hey there, Spocklighters, it's Paul here. We're back here with another episode of Spocklight at the Movies. I'm here with my usual co-host, Matt. Hello. And Liam. Hello. And I'm kicking things off this time because we're back in our spiritual home of Hangleton Hove. It's good to be back. Yeah, recording from uh, the original Spocklight HQ. It's been on the road quite a, quite a few months <laughs> since then. We're now one room over in the kitchen. Well, yeah, we, we've been we've been kicked out of our old uh, recording yeah, there's, studio. There's some we? newcomers just <laughs> rocked up and there's just like squatting in there. Me <laughs> <laughs> uh, speech squitting in there. Like, that's a <laughs> I have to go change them. Um, yeah, we've been we've been pushed out of the, the usual recording booth because it's now a baby room. So, R.I.P. from death to new life. <laughs> I feel young. Um, <laughs> bring it all back. <laughs> Well, uh, we're here today yeah. to talk about um, volunteers. So you'll have seen that from the, the episode description. You might wonder what volunteers actually is. Uh, it was something that, you know, was all going to be a new watch for all of us, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, brand yeah, new uh, watch for the podcast. And you think, you know, we've got Tom Hanks, John Candy, 80s comedy that you've not seen or heard about. What could it, what could yeah. this, what could is it be? Is there a reason why we haven't heard of this? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Is there a reason? Is there? We're about to find out. So this is 1985, mm. uh, the year of my birth, and I think of yours, Paul. It is, yeah. Yeah, not of yours, no. Matt, you young'un. 1986, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But it is set in 1962. Uh, Where were you in 62? (laughs) Not alive. Uh, So it is a period setting. uh, And to set that up, it opens with the classic uh, JFK quote. uh, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And then, blue, 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 blue. <laughs> and, and therein lies the most 60s the film ever gets. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the uh, first occurrence of Blue Moon since American Werewolf. For those who don't know, American I, Werewolf and London famously ends with uh, Blue Moon. But I think it's deliberately one of those classic... Uh, dark ending juxtaposed with yeah. a happy upbeat song like the end of Reservoir Dogs with the lamb and the coconut. Don't you find when a song is really famously used in a film, it suddenly seems a bit odd when another film uses it? Like, even though I liked it because it's a great song and perfect for a kind of, like, opening credits montage and it sets the scene so well. But because in my head, I'm like, that is really associated with that. It's like when in Godfather Part 3, the uh, piece of classical music from Raging Bull comes on. Where I instantly go to this Raging Bull. And that's all I can think of there. And then it doesn't work because I just think it's mm. it's. I think that maybe that so well. It, well, for me, it didn't. In both cases, didn't wasn't such a big issue because I think I remember from London. I have seen a few times, but never the amount of times that kind of make make me kind of completely associated with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I kind of associate as much with Manchester City as I do with uh, American World <laughs> from London. So, um, but then the other one as well, Godfather Part Three. I've never been a fan of Raging Bull. Controversial. Oh, interesting. Well, I am going to rewatch Raging Bull in the lead up to the Irish. Oh, are you doing a full Scorsese uh, I'm, rewatch? I'm, no, 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 no. I'm doing a rewatch the of highlights. Scorsese and De Niro oh, okay. collapse because that's the kind of like the big reunion kind of thing. So, well, that's um, doable, definitely. Yeah, Raging Bull. Well, I, I'm not going to do all of them as well. 
because some of them I'm kind of like set on my like I already know what I'm like thinking so I still can't see your review of Kundun then <laughs> <laughs> he's not in Kundun is he? no I'll just say you weren't doing the full oh season. no I'm not no, doing, no 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 not putting myself through that like sorry mate like um but yeah I uh, am doing I've just rewatched Mean Streets yeah. Um, Taxi Driver I've seen millions of times because it's literally one of my favourite films like like literally in my top five so I'm like I can skip that um, want it, but I want to rewatch Raging Bull because I am similar to you and don't get me wrong when I say oh I'm not a fan I mean I would give it four stars oh and I'm exactly. say, I just don't like it like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. in terms of I, I literally would not be able to give it any less than four stars because it is an incredibly beautifully made film with amazing performances on at every conceivable technical level it's incredible but it's just when I saw it originally what I remember is just feeling very depressed throughout the film because Jake LaMotta is such a unrepentant cunt like all the way through the movie. I mean, he's completely unsympathetic, isn't he? Like that's from my memory, at least. Yeah, I think that's what I found. Did you fuck my wife? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And so I want to see that again. Um, I also want to see King of Comedy again, which I love mm. already, but obviously because of the Joker film that's coming out, which obviously takes a lot from mm-hmm. King of Comedy. I kind of want to watch that again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all uh, building up. first to see in there? First two? See that. Like, see, I might do that, those are ones I'll do if I get time just because I'm always happy to watch them because they're both great. But I have, again, like Tetra, I've seen them loads and loads of times, so I don't feel the need to be like, I'll set myself up. Yeah. You're just, like, I have another nine seasons of stuff I'm just doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus, Cape Fear is a lot of fun, so you can always. Well, I'm skipping Cape Fear. Are you? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I've already made my decision on Cape Fear. Because, like, <laughs> the decision has been made. The decision's been made, and it's, it's solid. In terms of, I prefer the Robert Mitchum version, and that's it. Oh, I think it's like, simply yeah. from a Robert De Niro kind of performance point of view. De Niro is very, very good, like um, in it as uh, KD. There's no, there's no denying that. Can I imagine Shatner in the role now? But... <laughs> what role was that? I, I just had this picture of him because he because De Niro just turns it up to eleven and then starts jabbering and all kinds of things. like. He speaks in tongues, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just see Shatner doing this, like making those choices. Shatner now. Like, yeah. is it, I mean, that would be a turnaround, wouldn't well, it? Because did, you, did you see that, like, director-video, like, movie that he's in? Like, a zombie apocalypse movie channel no. just, just released, like, recently with Jerry Ryan. Get it on the spot, like, the movies. Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. I need to. With Jerry Ryan Jerry as well. Ryan, yeah. It's a double hit. Hold the press, you know, coming to a newsagent near you. Um, Devil's Revenge. The plot is unknown at this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be reviewing it in a future episode. I, I hope we do. I, 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 look, do. I look forward to it. To get back on track... be bluffing. Dad. I need $28,000 to pay off a gambling debt or else I'm a dead man. You've been a constant embarrassment ever since your mother and I brought you home that day from the orphanage. I am not adopted. I know, I know, but please allow me that little fantasy. Old pal, I'd rather take a place on this plane. If you see some very dangerous and primitive people are after me and I have no money and have nowhere to run. Lawrence Bourne III joined the Peace Corps. Not to save the world, but to save his own skin. So this is hell. Tom Tuttle, Tacoma, Washington. In a week, I'll have that town running like Pittsburgh! Volunteers. That's right, that's right. Rich American, huh? It's not that I can't help these people, it's just that I don't want to. You mean you've just been trying to go to bed with me? Well, I think I put in the hours, don't you? 
Their mission. We will build bridge. Is goodwill. Progress. What did they say? Move this log and I'll sleep with each one of you. Blackjack is the game. Free enterprise. Place your bet. <laughs> Diplomacy. I'm gonna go. You know where you are. I'm in the clutches of the angry pink menace. You will be educated. That will be a challenge. The enemy of the people are all those in league with imperialism. That bridge is important to us. Yes. Opium is money. The bridge mean more traffic. Time is money. You said opium was money. Money is money. Well, then what is time again? America! America! The people's army must become one with the people. We'll show those warmongers we'll just blow the bridge to bits. What have I done? How's this gonna look on my resume? Who's gonna hire me? Volunteers. Let me jump in there, because, yeah, when we... If I'm not mistaken, when we first mooted the idea of Spock the movies and Liam put together the big list we had yeah. through and we said let's all pick one each as like our starting ones and I think I picked this, right? Yes. And we because finally... that was the thing, it's like we as a starting pistol we said, Oh, we'll all pick one and then we got loads of guests on for it who wanted to come on and so they all picked a film and then so that all went out the window. But finally, after almost a year of it, well, <laughs> this is actually more than a year since we recorded the first Spotlight movies because we recorded it on the morning of going to see James Bonding at the Sp uh, London Podcast Festival. Um, so when I found that I was going to be a dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you went from well, like two free men and a baby. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and so, yeah, you picked to do it there, but we finally got around yeah. to it. So I had a look through, and I think I hadn't heard of this either, and the poster jumped out, because it is a very striking poster, and I was like, hang on, Tom Hanks, 80s comedy, John Candy, who I love, haven't seen, haven't heard, this is going to be great, surely. So, let's see. Um, but plot summary being... Let's have Wait, we can't say the connection! It's Nicholas Meyer. It's, it's, it's directed Nicholas, di by Nicholas Meyer. Who directed Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan? Yeah, and Star Trek Six, and Star Trek Six: The Undisco Country, Star Trek Four. Yeah, and maybe writing a Khan prequel trilogy or and whatever. Was this tangentially involved in Discovery Season One? You know, born as a kind of consultant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So heavily deep in the Star Trek mire, I would say. Yeah, the mire, <laughs> the mire, the mire of mire. Plot. Uh, so Lawrence is a rich kid with a bad accent and a large debt. <laughs> That's <laughs> part of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> After his father refuses to help him out, Lawrence escapes his angry debtors by jumping on a Peace Corps flight to Southeast Asia, where he's assigned to build a bridge for the local villagers with American as Apple Pie WSU grad Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, John Candy, and the beautiful and down-to-earth Beth Wexler. What they don't realize is that the bridge is coveted by the U.S. Army, a local communist force, and a powerful drug lord. Together with the help of At Toon. The only English-speaking native, they must fight off the three opposing forces and find out what is right for the villagers as well as themselves. And um, when they say Southeast Asia, it's Thailand, isn't it? Yes. That they're meant to be in, but they shot it somewhere else. They shot it in Mexico, I believe. There we go. Dangerous police. <laughs> what was that? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We saw Rambo lost blood yesterday. Oh, did you? <laughs> and, uh, and what did he say? And he said, He's like, go. Bad, you, bad place. Why do you want Don't to go? go. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. Rambo, who's spent years in Thailand fighting Burm Burmese like terrorists. But Mexico's, a Mexico's at the top of Skyscanner and turns the cheapest flights. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so yeah, so we have a little uh, cast list. We've got Mr. Tom Hanks as Lawrence Bourne, the third. 
John Candy as Tom Toff of Tacoma, Rita Wilson as Bex Wexler, and also starring people like Tim Thomason, George Plimpton, and Xander Berkeley. Wow. But George Plimpton in particular, like he's not particularly famous as an actor, but as, as a sports broadcaster and journalist. Oh, right. So he has a story career. He's like basically covered like a lot of the Muhammad Ali fights famously, and um, you know. But he also kind of um, got into acting, but he'd actually be doing TV specials on his walk on part. Um, for you know, he's in this film in the sixties, mm. and they did he do a special, but like here's me as like this walk on part, and um, so it's quite something to actually have this guy. He he comes from I think very quite a moneyed background, and I think Maya particularly chose him because he basically embodied or imbued all of those yeah. qualities of like old money. I think Hank uh, said he basically got a performance on him as well. Yeah, who's Plimpton playing in the film? Uh, yeah, George, Lawrence Bourne Jr. So his dad. Oh, who has a dad. One yeah. of my favourite scenes. In the yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So let's go right back to the beginning. So we open this black and white montage setting up the period, uh, which is we say is set to Blue Moon on the soundtrack. Uh, I've got me like because that song is a great song. And kind of, you know, the setting of the Jeff K quote and then all the kind of old news footage. I was watching that going, sold. Yeah. This, this, do, is, this do, is really good. Cool. the same way I thought Matinee, like, really set its, like, time and place with the um, uh, Lion Sleeps Tonight. Because yes. that's set during the Cuban Missile Crisis and it kind of, like, has, you know, it kind of gets the time and place really just right mm. Um, mm. With, with a song. And I think that's that was the one in that movie. And this one, it kind of, oh, I felt like I was in it. Yeah, so I instantly forgave it for using uh, Bloom because it just works so well. Um, Of course, the rest of the film is scored by James Horner. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this is reasonably early in his career. Uh, I think his score's pretty good in this, kind of adds a sense of scale, I would say. Not like, you know, not one of his best, but I think it's, it's, it's decent work, you know, decent work. And Tom Hanks, he says, the star of this film... Uh, this is very much within his comedy era mm-hmm. of movies, which is kind of regulated to kind of the 80s and a lot of ways, or the early 90s at least. Because now, this isn't the kind of film we would imagine Tom Hanks being in now, is it? No, and it's kind of the kind of film that if he tried, uh, Lady, Lady Killers, um, you know, <laughs> yes. that people would be like, what are you doing, Tom? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, what are you doing, Tom? It's like, do you think he's some kind of comedy actor or something like that? <laughs> you know, he's gone so far from Philadelphia you know, you know, onwards that people have almost forgotten like this. You know, there are some gems in this era. Like, with you've got Big. Big. Um, now, you've seen Splash again recently. I rewatched Splash, yeah, this week because, uh, pretty much in a double bill of this, just because it was the other Hank's Candy um, uh, collaboration. Because, uh, apparently, one of the reasons why they cast John Candy in this was because they already had Hank's as the lead. And they wanted to recapture the splash vibe because that had been such a big hit. Yeah, massive hit. It's like Ron Howard's real breakout as yes. a director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, also we'll flash forward a bit further. You've got the Burbs, which we've we've talked up before when we we're covering Inner Space. Dragnet. Dragnet. I think is really good. Underrated Joe movie. versus the volcano. Yes. Which I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. That's which, which we brought up with uh, Bob Stalin the other day. He goes, oh, what a duck. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a movie made today. Yeah. I, I mean, Joe versus the volcano, I, I find interesting. I think it's like it goes for the swings of the fences, and right. uh, I like it, but it's yeah. also, it's not, it doesn't quite work completely for me. But. Yeah. It's weird. Like, Hanks nowadays gets his comedy uh, hit mainly from, from Instagram. From, well, yeah, from being Tom Hanks and then from Woody, I guess. Like, it's such an energetic yeah, comedic performance. I guess so, yeah. And he can hide behind the cartoon cowboy. 
Yeah, but it only comes about once every 10 years. Yeah, yeah, so. very, very rare. Yeah, like, I was thinking of like recent Hanks, and I was like, wow, yeah, there is Tom's Toy Story 4. Because it is weird to think in the 80s he was basically a comedy actor. And, you know, he was worried about being typecast as a dad in the burbs, where they said, like, you're going to have a son. It's like, I-, I don't want one. I don't want to be family guy forever. You know, he went And that's weird because he did sort of become the everyman, didn't he? Mm. Tom Hanks became the ultimate everyman on film. I, mean, I don't think it was the burbs that did that, but, you know, he, he did become that guy. It's mm. weird, yeah, thinking. I can't really think of many roles where he's explicitly a dad, other than, like, Road to Perdition or something. Like, was that something he... Do you think he, he <laughs> not your typical from, dad in that, is yeah. he? Well, no, exactly. But do you think wanting to not be typecast, he was like, yeah. you know what, I just I don't want to be the dad and stuff. Hanks here is definitely making the most out of his comedy accent for this film. He's putting on a very... Right, good, okay, let's talk about the accent. Han... On the table, what do we think about the accent? I think it's fine when it when it's working, but he does let it slide. <laughs> when, when it's working, it, I do. I quite like it. I quite like what he's doing in this. Um, um, I this is the thing. Um, he's kind of like moving into Bill Murray territory here a little mm. bit. Like he's if Bill Murray was a little more attractive, you know, then he could have played this part, but he's not. Mm. So. Uh, Sorry, Bill. Yeah. Well, did you get to thinking that from there's a critic I think who said something along the lines of Bill Murray can get away with these kind of characters, but Hanks here just comes off like a total jerk. Like, yes, it's like yes, Bill Murray always retains a bit of humanity when he's being yeah. these assholes, whereas yeah. Hanks in this goes full jerk. And it reminds me of kind of the initial, yeah, the initial concept of Toy Story where they had those initial problems because Woody was just a complete asshole, and they're like, yeah. we have to dial it back. Oh, and really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the initial like. I think they recorded a bunch of it as well, and animated. You can see early animatics of like a slightly different looking Woody and a very different looking Buzz. He's a lot smaller. And Woody, because you know in the film, in, in Toy Story, he is kind of like abrasive because he's threatened about being replaced. Yeah, he's angry. The yeah. original angle is just, he's just very much like schoolyard bully, like throwing the toys out Well, of he's extremely mocking of Buzz. Isn't yeah, he? and it's like, like that turned one dial more where suddenly it's like, you're a complete prick. And the Pixar guys are watching it going like, yeah, this is not a likable uh, hero here. And so it's, it's got a touch of that here where he's, he's going all in on an accent and a caricature in a way. And it's just the almost the wrong side of like you're yeah rich kid and know it and that's funny to a degree and then it's like yeah where are you pushing this but I don't know it has various degrees of success for me I'm gonna go like very controversial but reference one's own work <laughs> I was gonna say this go ahead yeah because like I realized after making three films of you guys that I couldn't write anybody sympathetic if I tried and uh, it's just like everybody's a jerk in my films. <laughs> And I just wondered, because one time I made a, th- a film called Petty Crime based on the script by Matt. Yes. And the three leads, all of them are jerks. Yeah. Were yeah. they written that way or was that just me? Well, this is, right, this is funny because no, we should just say for the audience quickly that we all did film degrees in university. So around that time... Um, we all got together and would shoot short films. In the Ooh. summer holiday between... I say years. short, they quite long for short films. Uh, <laughs> Pushing an hour. But, um, yeah, pretty much all of them, I would say, have completely unsympathetic characters in terms of everyone's a bellend, pretty much. Yeah. And Petty Crime, you wrote the script. Yeah, well, the one you're referring to, Petty Crime, they were written that way where it's a sense of, like, there's three... The basic, basic plot of this is kind of it's, it's kind of a screwball comedy where this woman's cat goes missing. So she hires a pet detective played by Liam to track it down. At the same time, the guy who's trying to get into her pants hires a pet assassin to kill the cat to free up the, the space. 
And so these three guys, the boyfriend, the pet detective, and the pet assassin are all kind of out for themselves. And it is very much like the only innocent party here is Selena the cat. and the cat. And so when the film culminates in this like three-way chase and there's all these people, they're all out for themselves. And it's very much like, yeah, everyone's doing backstabbing, backstabbing, backstabbing. Um, yeah, but my, my note of the Groove Doctor connection is, I said, yeah, Tom Hanks feels like a Groove Doctor character yeah. <laughs> with this accent, especially. Yeah, I was, exactly. <laughs> and as, as consistent as any of my accents, I would attempt, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I can see, because he wears, like, the, the white tux for a lot of this film, and I was yeah. like, that's, that's so you. You would have played this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, talking about this, when I was watching it, I, I was thinking, oh, this, the humour and mm. stuff like that, especially in the first half, Mm. Uh, I mean, it's been a strange running joke where the the, the, the the tone of comedy we we put into these films was very specific and we, we kind of made it our own and then so since we've made them whenever we see a film that's similar we go that's a Groove Doctor film which was kind of the, the banner name for these films and there's been a few throughout the years and this one I think one of the reasons I picked it is I assumed it would be and it kind of is in some ways more than others but there are others that you're just like this is pure Groove Doctor if I can <laughs> whatever find, that means <laughs> if, I, if I can find some being that most people who listen to this will have fucking clue what we're talking about if I can find some clips I think I will put them in yeah well I used to be all for the noble way of things but fuck it eventually it got easier just to still the damn pets wait for the raw posters to show ingenious I can tell you, like, the flip side of the same coin. Bullshit, we are. You're a dick. I'm not. But what I should say about the accent, right, Tom Hanks' accent in this. So, for me, <laughs> I thought he was trying to go for a sort of Cary Grant-esque thing. Going, like, you know, somewhat, and... Um, well, it's, it's Bogart, really, isn't it? Because he's, he's doing the, like, club in Casablanca as well. He's kind of... Yeah, but, but he's, yeah, no, he's trying to go for the Bogart and Casablanca kind of vibe in terms of the tucks and the bars. That's clearly what they're evoking, but his accent ain't no bogey. Like, 100%. Like, because um, I should mention here, this script was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. Um, now, these guys were co-writers um, who worked together for decades on various different massive hit sitcom shows. So they were some of the main writers for MASH, for Cheers, for Frasier, and also Ooh. they wrote for The Simpsons as well. Um, they wrote Dancing Homer and Saturdays of Thunder, which is the Soapbox Derby episode. These are like very early doors for The Simpsons. For Frasier, because we were all big Frasier fans, I know. Uh, they wrote a lot of the Lilith episodes where she comes back, including Room Service, which is the one where Niles sleeps with Lilith, which is really funny. And also Wheels of Fortune, which is where Michael Keaton guest stars as uh, the con man half-brother of Lilith, which is really, really funny. Um, so they are great comedy writers. There is absolutely no disputing that. Um, however, I think transferring from uh, sitcom length of like, you know, we're talking like 22 minutes to feature length, is always going to be a difficult yeah. transition. Yeah. Um, Ken, I should say, hosts a podcast of his own called Hollywood and Levine, um, which you should definitely check out. It's a really interesting kind of podcast where he kind of just talks about his uh, life as a screenwriter in Hollywood. Mm. He's got lots of cool anecdotes and things. I would say if you enjoy 
episodes like the interview we did with uh, Mr. Bob Salin and stuff like that. He, he's got that kind of vibe of lots and lots of anecdotes to tell. Yeah, and she appeared on the, uh, the, the Kevin Smith's like, short-lived Frasier podcast yes. talking about some of the episodes he'd written. For he that. did, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the first time I heard Ken Levine and, you know, definitely a great raconteur, really worth, I mean, if his, if his podcast anything like that episode, definitely check it out. Yeah, and he did an episode solely based on volunteers because um, obviously it's his big movie screenwriting credit, really. Uh, and it's called The Anatomy of a Movie Story of Volunteers. Uh, so you can find that on the Hollywood and Levine feed. And he kind of just breaks down like the entire kind of making of film, his part in the process. Oh, and during that, there's lots of different things that I'll mention that I picked up from that that are really interesting. I did, I listened okay. to it. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend it. Um and one of the things he said is he did not care for Hanks' accent. He did, he was like, I don't know what he was doing. Like, in terms of, like, you know, and he thought he was aiming for a Cary Grant thing, which is what sprung to mind when I first heard it. Um, and I I think part of the problem is he kind of seems to go in and out of it, like, yes, throughout the film. It's just uh, inconsistent. Film. I think that's the thing. When it's, when it's on, and, it's, and I like it, that's the thing. But it's so often it's kind of somewhere it loses its track a little bit. Yeah. And... Um, and I think the trouble with this, and you talk about like feature length going from sitcoms as well, the trouble with a lot of these high concept comedies is that they do run out of steam. Yeah. And the last yeah. third is always like, how are you going to resolve this? And it's the same thing with Stripes, where it's the first two thirds I think are brilliant, and the last third is mm. like, oh, just wrap well, yeah, it up. It's very episodic. So, like, the first act of this movie is all about Hanks, like, running up gambling debts and running from the people come to collect. And All of which I'm loving. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. it, including the cheapest car chase ever, which is just oh, that's amazing. Them against yeah, yeah. a black background and then the, their, their little icons Squiggly go lines go Which, around, which yeah. is very funny. And then, of course, like, you know, setting up the rest of the movie, he swaps places with his roommate, who is Sandra Berkeley from 24, despite the fact that he looks about 36 here. We're meant to believe him as a college student, but whatever. Um, and he swaps places because he's going off to to the Southeast Asia to do the Peace Corps mission. So he swaps out like, and that's a very movie kind of like 80s comedy setup where he's like literally on the tarmac, just like, oh, just swap out. You can have my car and I'll go on the plane and then off we go. And then well, course, he actually says when he, he, Sander Berkeley demands his car, he says, my car, you shit. <laughs> oh, you're good. But you're good. But that's the whole thing. He's running away from gambling debt. Yeah. This is this is all the best stuff for me. Like before oh. they get to time. Yeah. The, o- the opening the poker game, like, is brilliant because the reveal yeah. of who he's up against. Well, he's like in this really seedy joint with like a lot of guys who will slit his throat while I was looking at him. Um, it felt like uh, a bit like weird science. Mm. Um, there's a bit where like Anthony Hall, I think. Is that where he goes off? Like, and he's in a kind of like um, uh, a very deepy dive club where they kind of, uh, go, you know, definitely out of their depth. And I think that's yeah. what we've got here. It's, it's just very funny. Yeah, and he's playing it totally cool. He's just like so smug, despite the fact it's obviously a very dangerous room. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He believes he can like literally just leech off daddy for the rest of his life. Like, yeah. All that stuff. I mean, the scene with his father yeah. is so hilarious. Um, I think it's in the trailer where he, he just turns around and says, uh, you know, son, ever since we brought you back from the orphanage, you've been trouble. He's like, I'm not adopted, I'm your son. He's like, oh, just please allow me to believe it. You were like, like, all that stuff is hilarious. There's a very Simpsons moment where the kind of enforcer of the people who owe him money turns up 
He's, <laughs> he's such a looking for him. Character. And you hear that the dad goes like, oh, he'll be right out to like pay you. And you hear the car starting off outside, <laughs> like <laughs> screeching <laughs> off. Like, yeah, is, but it's also got, there's, there's a bit of Simpsons in there. It's a bit of Zucker Brothers, mm. I would say, in terms of when you've got the uh, map sequence where you know you've got the car chase all the squeaky yeah, yeah. I guess Suddenly, it's, it looks like Indiana Jones that's what if you can, yeah. if you can imagine that like but with two dots yes. you know if you want to hear Woody have an orgasm he's up to some uh, sexy shenanigans behind closed doors when his roommate tries to come back and he's in there with them. oh yeah that's friend. weird isn't it yeah. and he's just like and they're, up, they're just messing about in like a, a netting or something and he's just like well now we'll have to start the sex now <laughs> when he's doing like a doctor doctor yes, thing it's, it's very carry on kind of thing, like or the kind of thing the goop would do in the police academy films 100% but yet the bit where he actually crashes through the map that we've been following that feels totally outside like top secret or something like that the Zucker Brothers movie Um, so all this stuff Mm. is real I mean I was watching the film going oh this is great like yeah I was really enjoying it like it was really I've written down like loads and loads of really funny lines um, from all of that first bit before they get to the um, get to Thailand, um, and I kind of think when well, they actually get to the main plot is when it starts. Well, the plane sequence as well. We've got like you know, Hanks gets introduced to John Candy, Tom Toff, yes, yeah. on a we, plane, just we, like in planes. Very trains. much in plane trains mode here. And this is it. I think it's a really good forerunner for that because he's just talking his ear off, and it's like and Candy playing this character. Yeah, he's he's really really funny in it. He is funny, yeah. And um, but you've got like Hanks dictating a telegram saying like the big mistake has happened. I need to be <laughs> get a plane flight back. And um, you know yeah, that kind of leaning into his like upper class stage of like I can just dictate something on a plane. Oh, right. and basically feeling like you know he's seducing like uh, Beth Wexler, like played by Rita Wilson, like on the plane for you know what we assume is like twelve plus hours, maybe twenty hours, whatever it is. <laughs> Um, um, but you know and at the end like you just assume you know it's like, I, she's like you just want to sleep with me it's like I think I put the time in <laughs> I wrote down on my notes <laughs> off the back of that Hanks is a total douchebag <laughs> but it was funny it was, uh, it was, it was just chatting her up like nowhere to go for like 18 hour flight <laughs> and then I'd be like but then they get to Thailand and the opening scenes in Thailand I actually think are really funny and good Mm. like because um, oh well one of my favourite lines is when he gets off the tarmac at that point and he's, he's talking to the guy and he goes it's not that I can't help these people, it's just that I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a thing, Ken Levine talked about in his podcast, today, you know, wanting to make something quite satirical. And apparently, the original draft of the script was very in line with something like more like MASH, where it was kind of quite serious as well, quite gritty, but also with funny lines in it. Um, and it was kind of too much for the studio, like straight away, kind of like a bit depressing almost so they kind of moved away from that but I actually think some of the early satirical moments kind of showing the idiocy of American intervention with the kind of mistranslations that are going on and stuff and Candy just trying to talk in kind of broken English to the kind of villagers and then getting annoyed because they kind of just wander off it's like and the characters are kind of acting very xenophobically and stuff like that and it's kind of all quite a mm. nice kind of satire on events and that it, like, the more and more the plot intrudes on the film 
the kind of less enjoyable it gets. Yeah. yeah. And I think we get to the, um, you know, I might be getting all ahead of ourselves, but I think, um, you know, once you get introduced to some of the other players in this plot, which, you know, you have uh, the kind of golden triangle, like Drug Baron, um, and, um, you know, you have also the Communist Party out there as well, the guerrillas, Communist Party guerrillas, and then there's the American CIA. Like, so there's three kind of like competing kind of people, but you have like an element like the, um, uh, the sort of the drug smugglers. And you've got a very larger than life kind of character with like a funny wig on, and 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 his like um his, his basic bodyguard is this woman who looks like she's straight out of Big Trouble in Little China with these massive yeah. nails and like dressed or you know in this oriental dress, but she's like you know this really mysterious and like sort of S and M about her. Yeah, such Big Trouble vibes. Yeah, yeah Big Trouble vibes. But it's like in an, in a, somebody else's hands. This is what this is what would have made the movie like go double down on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, go into the weird, but like it kind of went too plotty. You know, sometimes it just needs to go a little bit looser, uh, and and we could have potentially carried on a bit more that bit thing. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, for me, like the, the big takeaway for me is I feel like this is John Landis territory, particularly with you know with this character. I felt like, well, that's somebody that you know I could see in Blues Brothers or stuff like that, or mm. Trading Places. Somebody's just like a bit like far out. You know, you can imagine the train sequence in Trading Places where you've got Aykroyd. Uh, blacking up, which is like obviously wouldn't fly now. We got Eddie Murphy playing like a, a exchanging from Cameroon. Black up in there. Yeah, yeah. He plays oh, the very. I don't even remember. And uh, you got Jamie Lee Curtis playing like Helga from Sweden. <laughs> and um, you know the, those things are like it's just so absurd, but it's absolutely hilarious. That this is where it need to go lean more into the absurd, I think. And um, you know with Landis maybe at the helm in his prime, mm. it would have been really good. But this is the thing I don't think Maya is the kind of choice for that. Like he does, he gets the smart definitely. But he doesn't get the... Well, he does seem like an odd choice, doesn't he? Because this is the only comedy that Myers directed, I think. Um, or out-and-out comedy, at least. I mean, he is primarily, I would say, kind of, you know, a sci-fi uh, director, like, drama director, like, you know, if we think about Rafa Khan, Time After Time. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't think of Bruvs is anxiously looking through Wikipedia now just see if he has directed any more. Well, I mean, you know, movies. it says he, he wrote Voyage Home, that's the most common dumbass on you. Well, he wrote that segment of that because he took that the San Francisco scenes. Like he's a, he's an uncredited writer on Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, yeah, I mean, tons of comedy in that. I love it. Um, yeah. oh my god, all is forgiven. <laughs> I tore it never does. He's yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's not, it's not much. Um, I should, we should watch it. It's definitely not much comedy here. Uh, in the recent years, he has he was co-creator of Medici Masters of Florence. That that is not a comedy. No, but I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't realize he co-created that. That's good. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I don't know about good. I don't think it's going to be very good. He's done well. Yeah, can you imagine like this being? I think this could be remade. And be really good. Oh yeah, um, because yes. I'm thinking like, can you imagine Ken Jeong in that role? Oh, what the guy who's saying about uh, yeah. time being money and everything. Like yeah. That. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he would play it to the hilt, and it would be hysterical. I think you know that's well. That's one of the best scenes as yeah. well. Ooh. There's I'll like, what is time and, again? I'll like, try and think. Recast the main three roles at the end or something. But yeah, yeah. We'll have to do an Easy Riders uh, raging podcast <laughs> uh, thing. <laughs> 
This is our friends podcast who uh, we have appeared on, talking mm. blue collar. Yeah, uh, where, the body snatchers. Yeah, he does a uh, a thing at the end of each of his uh, podcasts where he does a recast. Oh, God, um, I never feel prepared enough for that. Uh, yes, yeah, I know. I think we just cast everyone from Widows and Atlanta in our version. <laughs> yeah, from the last thing we saw. The <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, maybe the thing. I mean, this is it. Me and Liam just recently rewatched a bunch of the Rambo's, and, and looking at this, this is like the comedy Rambo. It is, yeah, 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 It's the it's Peace Corps team, basically. It's Julie Benz and that team. Yeah, that... God, that's weird, isn't it? So yeah. that's the flip of it. 2008's Rambo, obviously. And they uh, the guy from 24. Yes, yeah, yeah. For those, yeah, yeah, for those who haven't seen it, 2008's Rambo are the fourth in the Rambo franchise. I know it's confusing. Um, First played about four. Sees uh, John Rambo still living in Thailand and uh, capturing snakes and stuff. And the kind of like uh, Christian kind of missionary group come along, led by Chappelle from 24, um, who, yeah, come along and say, oh, you've got to take us up river to Burma, everything like that. And so, yeah, it has got yeah. elements of that. Imagine if it was Hanks and Candy just turning up, asking for Rambo's help. And he's like, oh, who's that fucking world? Um, but yes, uh, we were talking about Candy. And he is very funny. I mean, he's got lots of really great. Well, I think he's like he's almost playing it. Look at the type in some of it. Okay, the the annoying bit is is very much his stick, but the the bit where he um, the very amusing scene where he's like captured by the uh, communist party and so and he's very as I say all American. And, we, and he's like, I'll never break, I'll never break. And, <laughs> it's like, and, yeah, and then he basically comes back, you know, the, the screen flips around and then he's basically completely in uniform as a communist party member. <laughs> like saying the proletariat, like, you know, rising up. And uh, yeah, it's like... Um, well, there's a bit where he's getting slapped, isn't he? And with each slap, he kind of flips between the, uh, you know, patriotic American to the kind of bring down the oppressive stake. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, that, you know, some of the ways he's delivering his life very accurate, like, at the time as well. You know, he's just reeling off, like, party propaganda mm. like, in one, like, unbroken take. And it's almost too much for the communist, like, general who's like, just just, just stop it now, come on. Yeah, uh, that, that, that turnaround is very, very funny. Like, uh, yeah, he's really... And the whole trapped in a tiger trap by a tiger, this could be a setback. Is amazing. <laughs> I will insert a clip for John Candy's far funnier line delivery of that. <laughs> Very nice here. Good. Good kid. Meow. Okay, baby. Okay. Had a babe. Stay there. Yes, you big cat. You. Oh. Trapped in a tiger trap by a tiger. This could be a setback. Definitely has echoes of Del Griffiths from his character from Plain Strains. He's kind of a bit like him, but without the pathos and a bit meaner and a bit more. Here is the comedy psychic in this more ensemble kind of screwball thing. A bit more pompous, isn't he? Yeah. He's a bit more full of himself. He's very much just like swanning and out of the plot, doing the funnies rather than be the main focus. You're a big John Candy fan, aren't you, man? Yeah, yeah, definitely through Planes, Trains especially. Like, do you so think, is that all, because with John Candy, I always felt like you were really like, you know, you really, do you think it all comes from Planes, Trains or are you just kind of his whole career? For, for me, I think it is, I mean, there's a lot, I, did, I didn't I did do a full sort of candy season. I've seen, I've caught a bunch of his stuff that I hadn't seen before, like Canadian Bacon yeah, and uh, any of the great outdoors. Oh yeah, I want to see Canadian, but the uh, Michael only uh, Michael Moore fiction yeah. film. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty funny. And, and who's eating Harry Crumb? Is that what you've seen? 
I think I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, there's one where he ends up in like the TV world of his own creation. Uh, oh, he's oh, like delirious. so bright, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's very funny. And have you seen JFK? Yes. And he's great in that. Yeah. And that JFK? Yeah. yeah. And he's playing it straight, but he's so good. And it's yeah. and he, and basically he was really intimidated by the fact he was playing like a straight role in it. I mean, he's funny in it, but it's like, he, you know, he was like, he's very sweaty in it, but I think he's sweating in real life because it's just like, this is, you know, this is his chance to kind of like break out of that mold a little bit. Yeah. And he never really got a chance to do it much more because it's 91 and he calls yeah. it unfortunately part. This is a strange thing because I, I do count his performance in Playing the Strains as one of the greatest, it's definitely one of my favourites that I've ever seen because that is, I've never seen anything quite blend the comedy with the heart as much as that. And if he's worried about doing straight roles, he really shouldn't have been because that is a straight role in a lot of different ways. Like ways he's very explain. emotional. Yeah. I mean, that hotel room scene alone just gets yeah. me every single time. And he's, he, go, he, goes, he goes wild and wacky when he needs to, and he plays it deadly straight when he needs to. And it works either way for making something funnier or sadder. And it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What's funny, I actually, knowing that you're a big John Candy fan, um, in preparation for this episode, I've watched four John Candy films this week, right? Including Volunteers. Um, just because I kind of feel like Candy, I've, I've got no dislike of him whatsoever. Like, like I said, Planes Train's very emotional, and um, you know he's a funny guy. I love him in Blues Brothers. Yeah, really, really funny. Orange Whip. Uh, yeah, yeah. Orange but like, I think I knew had this love for him, and I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not sure if I share the same thing. Do I actually think he's that great? Kind of thing, like yeah. So I watched, obviously watched Volunteers, and then I watched Splash, because it was the other Tom Hanks uh, collab. I watched Brewster's Millions, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't great. Uh, not Candy's fault, just wasn't great. Uh, but then, but then, then, I watched Uncle Buck, um, the John Hughes written and directed uh, film, and I fucking loved it. I loved Uncle Buck. I thought it was wonderful, and I thought he was great in it and that is a perfect film for him showing that he can do the comedy yeah uh, but also do the kind of more serious because that uh, a mm. lot of John Hughes films are kind of set in this quite heightened universe I find whereas that is a lot more grounded it's very gentle kind of warm it kind of feels more real and you know and mm. he's great in it in mixing up the being very mm. funny uh, but also feeling like a real character it feels closer to kind of character comedies yeah. like St. Vincent with, yeah, Bill, yeah. with Bill Murray which is him, him being bumped to lead in a Hughes film as well yes yeah 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 and he's rather because usually most times he is the supporting player yeah. it's funny how people who are you know in known for their comedy like find it so hard to kind of like not be pigeonholed on that because also the John Hughes was also very concerned about how the playing strange be received and I think he was absolutely nightmare on the set yeah. of that movie by all accounts because that was his first like non-high school yes yeah, it's, oh, it's his first film for like adults like we're starring adults and that kind of thing and so you know he was reshooting shoot you know loads of takes that kind of stuff there's probably like another whole film out there in the vault like you know that they didn't use um and then you got you know but the candy there you know he's, he recognizes that he can play it both ways yeah and yeah he, right. he is hilarious in the uncle Buck, was it when he smashes the plates <laughs> where you say is it from England. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's really, he's really funny in it. Um, but it is also, I mean, the scene with him and Macaulay Culkin. I mean, I, I was watching it again because obviously this is pre Home Alone. Yeah. Um, well, and despite Home Alone, that whole bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you can see why he became such a massive child star because they're the best scene of the whole film is them sitting down at the breakfast table when he's just turned up 
and Macaulay Culkin is just asking him a thousand questions, like, like interrogating him, <laughs> like a kind of like cop, yeah. like, like like you know, and like they kind of go back and forth, really quick fire, like forties kind of like comedy style, going, and it's it's absolutely brilliant, <laughs> superb. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent. Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? I don't have one. How come? I don't need one. Where's your wife? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? It's an even longer story. Are you my dad's brother? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I'm your dad's brother, all right. You have much more hair on your nose than my dad. How nice of you to notice. Oh, the, the, the great scene in that as well, where um, the, the, the drunk clown turns up to the party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know, the, the kids here, like, you know. <laughs> That's a, I mean, that scene, yeah, is a crazy scene because it's that mixing of the quite kind of, you know, it's quite a serious situation, but yeah. at the same time, kind of funny yeah. uh, because, yeah, it's got quite dark. Yeah, comedy but, but, moments. So that's the yeah, you know, if you, you, he's the bumbling comedy lead. No, he's not. He's like a human character. It's like, you yeah. know, he's going to protect these children from like these influences. Ooh, yeah. like, you know, I mean, people he, think he's the problem. It's like, no, there's bigger problems out there than a lovable uncle. Yeah, I mean, it's the only film where a John Hughes film uh, where a wannabe rapist is treated with real contempt rather than high five. Well, yeah, he definitely made me want to do a cat because I'm currently kind of doing a Steve Martin season rewatch. Oh, yeah, you are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting through some of his I haven't seen. But so you should watch it. Parenthood if you haven't. Yeah, that's on the list. I think that I've got that next, I think. Yeah. Because I, I just did, I just did my... Troll wasn't a fan of Parenthood. Oh, man, Robots. Mm, this is mm. some good shit. It's fucking Robots in it. Yeah, he's okay. the dad. Of I like, always say, like, Robots, he's in everything. Oh, like, but uh, he's, he's I, I love a bit of Robots. Uh, if any listeners could get hold of new one. <laughs> <laughs> New Mine, a Sunday play with directed by South Africa Park. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, I highly recommend I thought we were like, you know, where can I find this? My local off license. Like, uh, <laughs> do you have any New Mine? A New Mine sounds like the kind of thing the drunks uh, back when I worked at Sainsbury's would be trying to put under their jackets. Well, so, yeah, it's a mixture of ethanol and, uh, and, and um, rose wine. <laughs> back to oh, volunteers. I've, I've got another Rambo, oh. Rambo connection. Oh. Uh, Hanks wearing the signature red bandana, possibly just before First Blood Part Two comes out. Oh yeah, well, wow! You got this Rambo Rambo corner. This is this is this is fucking interesting. You mentioned that Rambo uh, First Blood Part Two came out the same year. Yeah, and Ken Levine during his podcast kind of blames that film's success for uh, the not so great box office of Volunteers because apparently it came out just before. And was running in like loads and loads of theatres and everything like that. And basically, you say it was kind of like it was such a success, it was clogging up space hmm. for uh, volunteers, which was made with a 10 million budget. Uh, it brought in almost 20 million at the box office. But if we acknowledge the fact that most films have to earn double their money back in order to kind of turn a profit because of marketing and such. Like, you know, it's it's basically... It's it probably It probably cleaned its face, and that's about it. That's it, and that's why we've never heard of it. Yeah, although just... he, he attests that apparently it gets screened on HBO in America all the time. But, of course, that's no help to us. Well, no, and also, I don't think HBO would be screening this these days. I mean, this is, this is a, a classic... <laughs> it's a classic 80s thing, though, isn't it? Like, um, but yeah, apparently I mean, HBO, they show, mo- they show, mo- they show shit movies all the time. Like. <laughs> Did they? I, I thought like, they just show really good quality like television programs. No, they, they, they are like AMC. Like, they kind of start out more as, like, a movie channel and then gradually 
actually started getting like original content mm. and stuff like that. So apparently it does screen on there on the regs, mm -hmm. and yeah, is a big is a big old hit on HBO. So it found its audience eventually. Basically, is what Ken is saying because apparently he went through quite a struggle um, with the film because at first he didn't really like it, and then gradually as time went on. Um, he was like, oh no, actually, I do like it now. So one of the things they're doing in this uh, village, they're, they're trying to build a bridge, aren't they, across the river. So it's kind of like the comedy... It's bridge over the river, river, river quiet, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I so mean, it's yeah. very much, it's called... Well, bridge over the river quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a spoof of bridge over the river quiet, uh, quite a lot, um, online. And while I'm not quite sure if it would work as a total or not a spoof, it's definitely no. takes inspiration. I, 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 yeah, I think it's inspiration. It's a reference to it. There's, there's a couple of, like, you know, for me as a David Lean fan, I was like quite happy to see a couple of references. Um, you know, Lawrence, the character, Tony Tom Hanks, you know, the locals search out Orange, 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 like when he basically gives some candy off, was it like chewing gum, mm -hmm. uh, which is a yeah. nice reference to Lawrence. And then um, also there's a whole plot to blow up the bridge at the end. And uh, just before it gets blown, Tom, uh, no, John Candy does say, "What have I done?" Oh, which yeah, is the last line. Which is a line from Bridge Over Real Quiet, which is brilliant. Which what? I saw very. You've seen it, bro? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I saw it really, really recently, um, and it is a five-star masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Well, it, it's, it's quite a good testament to this that the sort of comedy spoof would go to the lengths of apparently building that entire bridge and blowing it up. Like that's all practical at the uh, towards the end of this film. Well, that's the thing. It's like he does talk about production value being quite important to Maya. Like, I mean, he's shooting not on location, really. I mean, it's on location. Um, you know, Mexico, Dublin for like yeah, not real location. But um, there's a whole thing in the trivia I read about like he was getting he only got the money for one elephant, but he said you know it, nobody's gonna believe it's Thailand until we get two, and then it's <laughs> yeah. He said there's a great quote, isn't it? He said something like I wanted two elephants because one elephant makes it look like you can only afford one elephant, but two elephants is Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so two will do. Well, it works that you are trying to surreptitiously open a bottle of Coca-Cola for. <laughs> oh my god! This is very yeah, apt, actually. Right of right course, now. there is a there is. A, did you notice the big scene with the Coca-Cola? Yeah, it's quite controversial. Which, isn't it? yeah, I mean, because you know, I don't know what you thought, but it does leap out as potential product placement, mm. like in terms of because uh, the girl Rita Wilson is like fawning over the coca-cola like oh it's the taste of pole like yeah but apparently ken levine swears blind uh that it's not product placement the reason this came about is because uh tristar um which kind of released the film kind of uh apparently owned coca-cola at the time or coca-cola owned them or whatever the probably fuck. the way around oh uh, yeah probably the way around. <laughs> and um because of that i mean i I can know they own the studios. Uh, because that people thought, oh, this has got to be product placement. But according to him, it's always been in the script right from the start. It was one of the few things that survived all the drafts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know fucking know why, because I mean, you know, it's not a great moment. Yeah, it's, but it's, it would be good if it was played for satire, just sort of like American exports, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Like you'd sometimes see in these great sort of dusty de Mexican towns, like, you know, by the Taverna, and then one thing there was like a Coke sign mm. spinning around in the dust. And it's like, just, there's no corner of the globe where this company can't like sell its product. And I think that's kind of thing is like introducing like, you know, the idea of like this American pop, you know, just in the middle of nowhere, you know, she definitely won it. But <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work in the movie. It feels, it does feel like it's like, yeah, buy this now. <laughs> and Ken uh, apparently said uh, once that, oh, I should have just had him offer her a joint 
and everything would have been all right. Mm. I'm not quite sure why that would remind her of home, but you know, like uh, I think he was maybe being facetious at that point, annoyed. By I think it's sort of less controversial. Yeah, let's just say, yeah. Yes, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I found Lawrence and Attoon's uh, reaction to Beth's kidnapping just bizarre. Um, at one point, uh, there's a character called John, who's another member of the uh, Peace Corps, who uh, basically clearly falls in love with Rita Wilson's character or becomes obsessed with her. Um, and at one point, he kidnaps her in what, I personally found to be quite a disturbing scene. Like, you know, there's a bit, he kind of turns up at uh, like this hut and it's all in the dark and it feels very, very rapey. And, and this he, is the guy that looks like 50 plus. Yeah, and he ends up knocking around kind of like kidnapping a lot of creature of the Black Lagoon, like running <laughs> out with her in his arms. And basically, Atun, who is uh, one of the, um, one of the few Thai um residents who can speak English um in the film kind of sees it and he's like, oh poor Lawrence, as if this guy has swept uh Rita Wilson off her feet and kind of, you know, whisked her away. And that's kind of how Tom Hanks character states it as well. And I was just like, you're fucking mad. She's obviously been kidnapped. Like, you know, I just found their reaction as if like jealousy as if she run off with another bloke. So weird. And this wouldn't be in the third act, would it? Like this is the thing. It's like does the wheels do come off the the wagon a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they I do kind of, big time. Yeah, big time. I, I kind of did actually what... Well, Theo woke up like about two thirds way through and at that point I was like, I'm really liking this. And when I resumed the film, I kind of I can't wait to see the, how it ends. And it was... <laughs> it was just nothing quite on the same... It was... Yeah, it wasn't the right tone anymore. Yeah. And um, it's really struggled to retain like the comedy. Yeah. I, it really... It's like... Yeah, that, that's the thing. There's more... The more plot there is, the less comedy there is. That's yeah. what it feels like. It's weird. It becomes basically like a Bond film finale. You've got like corrupt yes. CIA, warlords. You've got the whole thing where they hide in the giant vase and roll down some stairs. And it, yeah. that's like the big trouble vibes again. And it's this weird tonal shift where there's stuff like, you know, casual racism flying around. Like oh, I think, I think yeah. Hanks at one point says to me, uh, says to the uh, the the villager guy. Um, Attune. Attune. He says, you're lying to me. Your eyes are getting round. Um, and then there's stuff like they, they return to the sort of wacky humour from the first act like with the map with that moment where they start reading the subtitles in that weird oh sort of form, yes which I yeah. thought was pretty funny and then moments later you've got heads on pikes and it's like oh yeah god this? that was crazy wasn't it yeah when you suddenly see heads on spikes it reminded me of the opening of Pirates of the Caribbean uh, The World's End which is a family film oh yeah uh, which opens with opening. a scene of a child getting hanged like yeah <laughs> it's, it's just it's like multiple kids isn't it yeah it's like a whole yeah, it's like, absolutely insane yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking, but that's what it reminded me of, of just like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, it's this whole weird hodgepodge, isn't it? Because it's like, does this want to be a comedic Temple of Doom and Romance in the Stone? Like, you've got all these elements from those, but I think Romance in the Stone kind of is the comedy indie type film, whereas yeah. this one, like, is just all sorts of elements. Well, Temple of Doom did very well, but I don't think anybody was saying, oh, you've got the got it just right. I think yeah. people were at the time, and, and even since, just we've still kind of, like, have trouble with that film. Like where it I still have trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And less uh, trouble you know, than I do with this. Like the setting and the sidekick is all kind of in there. Well, like, the, I, you know, it's, it does feel like a, an older brother of like uh, Jonathan Kui Kui Kwan, who like was short round in that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, did, yeah, so, you're so right. getting one yeah. Arby, like he is really good as, as Atun. Mm. And I think, you know, I did get a, quite a lot of fun out of him sort of being sexually harassed by the the, the, um, the guards. 
Um, you know, and then on top of he's like, oh, well, I'm going to basically distract them, you know, you give them a little show. I did find that quite funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he, he's was, good in it. Yeah. I was like, let's play this up a bit. Um, yeah, he is good in it. Uh, but I mean, it, I think it all becomes very white saviour mm. by the end. Like in terms of Hanks's character... Yeah, the way to it is like he basically saves Thailand. Yeah, like, like yeah, it's all kind. Well, of I wrote down, you know, is this, is this white savior the movie? Because you know, it's it's tetchy grand to begin with, but it's you know, it's rich spoilt guy, rich spoilt guy, and a bunch of white people ending up in like another country, and very eighties idea of their cultures and stuff. It's like for as much of the comedy gets right, you're going to get stuff getting wrong. And it's kind of hit or miss. Well, yes, yeah, so the opening, like, so you don't get into Highland, you don't, it's not something to be in the 60s anymore. It could be the 80s for all, yeah. you know. Yes, yes that's very I, true, I, I, yeah. Everybody once thought that it was the 60s after that opening. Yeah. It's just like, well, this is just an 80s thing. Yeah, that's right. It's like your kind of um, grip of the period yeah. kind of leaves when you get very to uh, time. Because, like you say, it's, it's hard to kind of, at least from the way the film depicts it, get any grips on differences there mm. to like Rambo 2008. Well, I wonder is that, do they just set it in that period because that's an actual time when Peace Corps were going over? Do it have to be factually that time or could it Maybe. Just be? I think it's probably at its height. I think, you know, also America, Vietnam hasn't really kicked off for real. Yes. They still haven't got the stain of that, you know, like, you know, war over the country. They're still like, we're the good guys, you yeah. know, remembering. World War Two, yeah. And so are there any references to the Vietnam War coming up? Like, there's, I don't think there's any. No, no, because it didn't. Really. Really. It was only, it was only a small kind of like thing at the time. Sixty two, mm. it really kicked into like high gear later on that year, um, where it was, you know, more troops were committed. So it's, it's very early days in Southeast Asia for America at that mm. point. So you know, they, they did. There is one allusion to it where they say, you know, oh, like we should just run up the American flag. Nobody will screw with us then. You know, that was. Uh, the candy suggestion with him when they arrived, like, you know, everybody would be fearing us. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this, but the ending is uh, listening to Ken Levine's uh, podcast was a real kind of hodgepodge in terms of, because when I watched the film, I thought it ended very abruptly, um, where suddenly it's kind of just cuts to kind of a final shot with a voiceover and that's it, the film's done. Uh, apparently, uh, according to Levine, uh, basically there was something, an extended uh, final sequence shot, uh, but either there was something wrong with the footage or it just didn't work or anything like that, and it was unusable, basically. And so what they had to do was literally use a shot from a deleted scene earlier. So the final shot that you see is not intended to be the final shot. It's like a shot from a deleted scene earlier in the film and get Tom Hanks to record a new voiceover, basically wrapping the film up. And so, like, literally, like, that far shot, like, the way it just instantly cuts it, it just feels very kind of rushed and kind of, like, you know, like, squared away. Um, Again, much like Petty Crime. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, one of the greatest far no, shots. No, but we had to pull footage history. from an earlier scene to yes. plug in the gaps and yeah. the ending could work very true um, <laughs> but yeah I this film it is totally a film too harsh for me in terms of like the, the the first kind of third and even when they first arrive at time I actually think is really really good fun mm. and then as the film goes on kind mm. of 
yeah. heads into the and that's the thing you're left with like tunnel swamp yeah you're left with an okay experience and I think you know an okay film doesn't kind of get the classic status really does it it just becomes a kind yeah. of curio it's interesting to see these you know actors in their you know what their, what their comedy heyday with Hanks and um, you know there are a lot of Hanks comedies which I haven't seen and I've, I'm money pit I have got memories of but I just can't really recall it and um, yeah, I, I need to see Money Bachelor Pit. Party I don't know I haven't seen that one there no, I've seen Money, seen Money Pit's very very funny is oh it? you've seen Money Pit yeah, Spiel, yeah Spielberg produced that I think wasn't it yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good laugh and uh, and so you know the, 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 for me to kind of tick that off and go oh let's see Hanks doing this you know because we know he's he's no unknown quantity now mm. then they're taking a little bit of a risk you know of him but you know he's got the chops so even if he's not quite the fully formed Hanks we know today it's still the talent's undeniable. Because this is still pretty big, isn't it? It's like yeah. the year before. Yeah, it's before. Yeah. Oh, big two years is before. 88, so two years before. Oh, so, two, you know, yeah. and he got Best Actor nomination for that movie. So there's for no... Big. Yeah, because there's right. no question that, you know, he was respected for what he could pull mm-hmm. off in a movie. Um, but yeah, at this point, maybe not so much. Like, um, So yeah, I think uh, for me, it was... Uh, it, it kind of... It did exceed my expectations because I was thinking, like, it could really be bad. I don't know. Just some fact that it's the um, the the Southeast Asian angle. I thought it could go yeah, quite. Yeah. It could be really dated, and a lot of the humor could be really cringy. Could have gone a lot worse. Know, you know, and at the time, oh, yeah, I was, I was but, yeah, I was basically worse, yeah. holding my breath for like something that was you know like those lines about you know your eyes going round. I thought there's gonna be so much more of that kind of stuff. It'd be like, oh, this is excruciating. This is why it's been buried. Mm. But there isn't as much as that as as, as you first fear. So you know that's why I feel it kind of pulls through. Yeah, you wonder has this just been kind of forgotten because of all that stuff, or is it just yeah. because it's just kind of an average overall average film that come in a weird midpoint of Hanks's rising? You know. Yeah. And all the films getting made today, like remade, I would say, you know, this could be right for like a remake yeah. of like, uh, I don't know. With a more satirical bent, yeah, I yeah. think. Get Armando Iannucci in yeah. to direct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think you could do something interesting. Well, I think, let's, well, we've got this whole, like, whole vibe now of volunteerism. You've got a lot of very you know, yeah. privileged, like, you know, British people, like, you know, who mm. are going abroad and like building, you know, all this kind of that. This and the other, but you know they're really there just kind of you know. My, my, uh, yeah, well there you go. Instead of gap yard, yeah. Instead of a peace core thing, make it a group of uh, like influencers who just want the like yeah. clicks, and they go over to try and like yeah, help build a village or something. Well, I think Hank's not... character should be British anyway, shouldn't yeah. he? He should be like British toff. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could see that a British remake has been really funny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> because, because, you know, and that drugs still exist. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and certainly, you know, guerrilla warfare still exists. Uh, so plenty there, you know, black ops, you know, all the elements are there. We don't need to set it in the 60s. Just set it yeah. now. Oh, perfect. And like, you know, some, yeah, basically Instagram influences, you know, from the rah-rah crowd. <laughs> absolutely, like, <laughs> annihilated. Them. And yeah, up the number of them there so you can kill a few off. Like. <laughs> so, That's the thing, I didn't, I didn't think there was enough people there yeah you know yeah, I think it was very true, yeah. them. Like, you know, John Candy's lost for half of the movie yeah because they go over there on a plane full of other people and you never get a sense yeah, that you never see anyone group. again do you it literally just feels like it's just really Hanks awesome. Wilson and well, I guess they will um, go off to different parts of the country maybe but, but like they're trying to build this biggest bridge in the world yeah. like you know uh, by you know because he's there going oh well we can't do this fast because yeah, we're... that's bizarre, actually, isn't it? And how do they know how to physically put a It just feels as if they didn't want to pay the other extras to be there the whole time. Like, yeah, it feels like Lost season three when people are like popping up who we've never seen before, who are like, "Oh, I was on the plane." Like, you know. Uh, so, Paul, final thoughts. What do you think of this? Can we go Matt first? Matt we? first. Is you chose it. Okay. Uh, well, let me run through a few uh, other opinions through. 
Letterboxd. So Letterboxd, we should quickly mention before we go into this, is a movie uh, website. It's kind of like social media for films, I guess, where you can keep a film diary and log every film you see. It's fantastic. We all well, love you're it. In. You're in. Yeah. I, I, yeah there's I think, no going back now. I think it rejuvenated all our film. You can look at lists of uh, Spotlight of the Movies there of all the yeah. films we've covered so far. We've definitely taught Letterboxd before because I think last yes. time we said they should be paying us now. Um, if now you want to find us yes, on Letterboxd, um, I've got the handles. Uh, my handle is the Demps. Uh, Paul's handle is Paul underscore Wilson with two L's. And Matt's uh, handle is Matt underscore bro. An awful lot less activity since I had a child, though. Uh, like, <laughs> I was yeah, averaging yeah. like two films a day. Now like two films a month. Like, so, yeah. But you're still getting some baby screens. I'm still getting like, like, uh, yeah, they you know. The big screen for children under one. And Theo has his own account now. So yeah, yeah, see, all of you. Check that out. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so like some, yeah, some choice opinions here. Okay. Um, Tom Hanks does a stupid accent. John Kelly does his usual stick. Unfortunately, it's not very funny. Two stars. Still two stars, though. Still two stars. That's, yeah. I mean, that's that's not bad. That's uh, okay. Tom Hanks and Simon Lee Ming's ranking uh, <laughs> yeah. there. Tom Hanks and John Candy. It has to be good, right? Almost worth seeing just for the 80s-ness of it all, but pretty lackluster. So they're all kind of like... What did they give it? Two and a half. Uh, and then someone says, aside from John Candy's frankly brilliant performance, this is season 17 Simpsons level meh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they wrote for season two and three, man. I give it around 2.5, so it is a very mixed bag. Um, jumping all over the place in, in tone, in structure, in story, in character. Um, but what's funny kind of works, but it's always in isolation. It never really adds up. Um, the running gag of Candy being brainwashed very quickly is kind of one of the only things that runs through, which is really funny. Yes. Um, and yeah, Hanks is a strange commodity in this, but I did find it funny. But yeah, trying to work out how much of that is because of the groove topped in this and how much it reminded me of our own films. Um, so it's, it's tricky when I see things that remind me of stuff like that and I, I'm vibing with the tone, but it just doesn't pull it together. And I'm like, this could have been, because like you say, there's so many elements here that could have equaled like a four or five star classic, but they're all just kind of squandered at every opportunity and it never quite gels. So yeah, it's a disappointment, but I'm definitely glad I saw it and it's a good uh, gap to fill in terms of 80s, well, candy, Hank's candy comedy for me. I think, um, yeah, that's really, really well put, Matt. And I think um, for me, I would go to see it straight in the middle again, two and a half mm. stars because yeah, I was really enjoying that first half, you know, more you know, into the second. I think what you have is, when your plot gets in the way, it overcomplicates itself. I think mm -hmm. you could have, you've got three powers vying for like control of the bridge. And I think you could have dropped one of them and focused it. All it needed was the drug barons, not the communists. I mean, okay, you lost the candy fun, but like at least it would kind of be a bit more kind of like focused yeah. on that. So you just have the comedy between, you know, the, the volunteers and the village versus this, you know, and make it like a magnificent seven kind of, it's very much us and them. But now it's just, it just kind of overcomplicates itself a bit too much. It's like, nobody cares about geopolitical like situations <laughs> here, in this. Um, yeah. And I think you, know, a lot of the kind of um, comedy around America's kind of, you know, trying to fix the world gets lost in the second half, mm -hmm. know, which could have been, could have been played with more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really, really, really like um, some elements of it at the beginning. I think Hanks is good. He just perhaps isn't the finished article at this point. I think if Hanks at 89 had done this, we'd have been seeing something else. But it's just, uh, yeah, he's, he, it's, it, unfortunately, it's not like consistent enough like through the whole film. Mm -hmm. 
you can tell it's coming from TV writers in that it is an episodic film, essentially. And yeah, it doesn't quite gel yeah. in its entirety. But, but that's the thing. Do, do we all think Hanks was well cast? Or do you think we could imagine somebody else in the role? Oh, I could imagine someone else. Well, I think it could have been someone else. But I think if the writing around him had been more consistent, he still would have done well. Because mm. that kind of shtick and the accent can work if the material is there. And it didn't always, it didn't always land. Mm. I don't think he's bad. No. I think that he can perform comedy well. Mm. I think some of his deliveries here are really funny. Um, I just think the accent is really odd and doesn't work. See, Hanks is one of those people where sometimes he's just inherently funny. And I get that across where I'm like, just you and your yeah, face I agree, I agree. Is, is winning me over. Whereas had it been someone else who was worse cast than yeah, you, yeah, it would have yeah. bombed, but it could also have been someone better. Like I say, he definitely isn't bad. I think he is funny, isn't it? It's just that literally that kind of like accent leads me to believe that someone else could have done... Well, Ackroyd, maybe. But... Job, maybe. Like, but yeah, but it's not that he's bad because he does deliver some lines very well. Um, and I would uh, say, yeah, I, it's two and a half stars across the board. Mm. Um, yeah, I completely agree in terms of, I think this is a clear case of sitcom writers who are clearly genius at pulling together like a 22 minute script or whatever like that. Um, Cause the first like 25 minutes of this are hilarious. Like, you know, while I was watching it thinking this is gonna be a three and a half, four star kind of comedy film, really great. And then it kind of goes off the rails. And, you know, I mean, Levine himself admits that it's at least 15 minutes too long. That's come from the writer. It is 50, it's 90 minutes max. Yes, yeah, 100%. It's one hour, 40 minutes. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, get this done at, like, you know, 84 minutes or something like that. Like, you know, and... But it's, yeah, it's kind of very white saviour by the end. Some really dodgy, weird, rapey stuff in it. I think the character of John, you know, who's the one who kidnaps um, Rita Wilson, I think he feels like pulled out of another film. Well, that's me. Make it the warlord, like, who's obsessed with her. Like, yes. just, like, just yeah, skip yeah, him entirely, yeah. and it works, works better. Because basically, the Bond villains always fixate on the Bond mm, girl mm, and mm. Like, kidnap her and take her to, like, you know, their lair and try to seduce them. You know, none of that feels particularly rapey because it's like, you know, they're almost, you know, they're written so they're kind of like, uh, they're just playing them on a bit. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, until Bond comes to rescue them. This you know, reminded me of Sheriff of Nottingham, but less yeah. funny. Yeah, like, um, that's right. I mean, you know, Alan Rickman, like, you know, sort of wooing Mary Melissa. <laughs> Gloriously rapey. <laughs> but funny that it, I mean, it's it's certainly like in its cut version isn't as, as bad, but like, um, you know, because we Robin Prince of Thieves, that like that film tonally plays with fire. So yeah, well, we watched it on your projector, like not yeah. uh, not too long ago, I, and like it's going to move on a like, sidebar here. But like <laughs> Robin <laughs> Prince of Thieves is something I've watched a hundred times because I, I watched it as a kid. I saw it in cinema. Yeah, and it's like and it, it got a PG rating in the UK, and I remember like the um, there was a quote from the head of the censors who said like the one my one regret my career is giving that film a PG even with a cut like down because of the rapey stuff because just like the whole thing is really dark yeah it's like yeah. people you know getting their bellies turned in inside out with like swords there's people it's, it's quite like, violent cross it? in the it's eye violent, people getting yeah. their hands chopped off at the beginning um, you know blind guy getting his eyes gouged out like um, they got a PG they got a PG he's like you don't need these blind guy <laughs> yeah um, you know Duncan and um, 
you know, it gets away with it, but it's like, that's a pretty hardcore PG, and now it's a yeah. 12, of course, yeah, but it's put stuff put back in, but, you know, you've got Alan Rickman, who just, is just so great, but I think he's so great, people forget, he's trying to rape the leading yeah, lady for like, I mean, 20 minutes. And explicitly as well, like, yeah. yeah, he's like, spreading her legs over, and everything. It's, it's played as a joke. This this plays at like, 5 o'clock, and on, you know, Sunday afternoon, on BBC One. <laughs> just I don't want to see it's that, like, what? Yeah, yeah and like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, Sheriff. Oh, yeah. He's tucking into my roast. Oh, it's better when we're able to laugh about this stuff. <laughs> I know, it just shows how things have changed, really, haven't they? But this isn't even going to get it, you know, even hit those kind of vibes, you know. No, because the thing is, is the scenes in this which aren't funny. He hasn't got the charm of Alan Rickman, uh, the yeah. ex-painter. So it just comes across as horribly rapey. It, it turns into like a serious film. Like, the thing is, we can laugh about Rickman because much as that stuff now, yes, it wouldn't be made today. It's gloriously inappropriate. Um, but there's a way that Rickman performs it that makes it funny. I think, like, you know, you can argue it's problematic, certainly, but it kind of gets away with it for me because, you know, Rittman's having such fun with the performance and everything like that. You know, it's kind of, it's so ludicrous. Yeah, I think there's, there's, we're getting into Prince of Peace, how how does it get away with that? And it's probably the witch, because it keeps cutting to her and sort of like coming like, she's ripe. And and, people like, you can't take it seriously when you've got that woman, like, you know, (laughs) off the side, like, Yeah. <laughs> it just like it just le- the levity kind of like levels it out a bit yes, whereas there's nothing it's in this so much levity whereas this is nothing like that no this just turns into a dark film like yeah, uh, yeah. it's completely different uh, so yeah two and a half stars across the board yeah um, it's not a bad film it's not a bad film there is about half an hour here which is really fucking funny and it's difficult because it's funny our friends over at Sudden Double Deep um, have this thing where they say that anything below a three star is not a recommend. And I love you guys, but I kind of disagree because I kind of like, especially with you and me, Paul, I feel like we're people pull out, we love a curio. Yes, and we, we love like a thing in terms of like, you know, just watching cinema is just sometimes fun. And I think there's fun to be had here. I would say this, it's worth watching for that half an hour alone. Absolutely, because you get stuff in here which you're not going to see again anytime yes, soon. Yes. Um, we are, society's changed and it's like got a bit humorous, a bit sexless. It's just like, um, it just, it feels like there's, there's things in the, in the 80s which just like strike a chord. It's like, that is a, almost a different world. And it, I think you just need to see these movies just to kind of like, that humour is still funny and it's like, yeah, yeah, but, you, yeah. but you're not going to get to see it anytime soon. So no. just, and there's only a finite amount of these out there. So it's like, you know, once you tick this one off, there's only be one less out there yeah. that kind of like encapsulate this kind of like era and this sense of humour, um, you know, the kind of Animal House kind of thing and Police Academy and those kind of things. Yes. Um, I was thinking actually, you mentioned John Hughes a few times. I think he would have been a really good director for this movie. I think what we, you know, our one Star Trek connection, Nicholas Meyer, you know, unfortunately doesn't do very well out of this podcast because we do feel like he potentially was the wrong choice for this. He's hung up on the details, hung up on the kind of, um, you know, two elephants and, uh, you know, making it like putting bloom in the He's beginning. leaning into the David Lean-esque quality, yeah. isn't he? That's what he's interested in. Yeah, he's interested oh, yeah, in like, yeah. you know, like I'm going to show you how well-read I am, yes, which is I think yeah. a common complaint of like people who've collaborated with him. It's like, uh, you know, how smart's Nick? Well, don't worry, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because you know there's, like, there's a quote I think um, I think in another podcast I heard with James Horner like um, was scoring uh, let's make it about Star Trek for a second scoring oh. Battle, of, Battle of Matara Nebula from Star Trek 2 and he um, he basically is using it you know 
he's scoring it, but Nicholas Myers like on the scoring stage, like, oh my god, that's Holst. Like he's and it's like, you know, you, you just ripped off Holst. He's like, Yeah, I'm too young to outgrow my influences just yet. <laughs> and it's like, well, fine, carry on. But it's like, you know, it's it's kind of like I, I want to tell you, like, I know this piece of music, right. that kind of thing. Um, Nick, come on the podcast. Please. Yeah, oh. we'd love to have you. Yeah, please uh, tell me how smart you are. Uh, I should just mention that the original director for this, before Nick, huh? was Carl Gottlieb, who oh, co-wrote Jaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great. He has a scene on the on the on the um, ferry across like the bit where it's that one shot. It's mm. a brilliant scene. I cry when I watch Jaws because it's so fucking good. <laughs> Like, classic Warner, that's it. Yeah, it's so it's the it's the car, car ferry across like Amity Island, With and the uh, and the mayor's like basically trying to convince Roy Shire, like you know, uh, you know, this is summer town. We need summer dance. And Carl Gottlieb, the screenwriter, is in that scene as one of his staff. We just get go. We've never had that kind of trouble in these waters. Yeah. <laughs> well, he co-wrote Jaws. He was the original director of this. He hasn't really directed anything of note. I've got to say, but he did direct an episode of. Does anyone knew this exists? Honey, I Shrek the Kids, the TV show. Yes, 1997. Ran for 66 episodes. I did not know that. 1997 <laughs> to 2000. Live action. Live action. Wow. And was Moranis in all of it? Uh, no, Moranis wasn't in it. Okay, so I, I, that's it. Honey, I Your thing of Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves. The straight-to-video uh, Honey, I Shrunk The theme part version. I love when me and me go... awesome. Okay. I love when you and me go acapella. Also, Moranis was in Brewster's Millions, which obviously I watched this week as part of the candy thing. Comedionic. Because mm. usually, Moranis is playing like the geeky guy, mm. having like very good at it. But Brewster's Millions... He's playing almost like Wolf of Wall Street type. Yeah. He's got like a goatee going like, yeah, completely different. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Who the hell am I? I'm Marty King, King of the Mimics, that's who. Anything you say, I guarantee it'll be repeated. I'm like an Xerox machine. But guys, don't let this convince you of watched Bruce's Millions. I mean, talking about like, I, I was highly recommend <laughs> yeah. volunteers over Bruce's Millions. This oh, yes, I agree. It's like 90 minutes of zero laughs. I, like, <laughs> I just, I was... It's a recommend. <laughs> I literally could not believe that something that was actually kind of, you know, people keep saying, oh, Bruce Smith's a really good film, like, really funny. Like, yeah, it's, it's held up, isn't it's it? It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, in, this, in the way, way that Volunteers hasn't. Yes, it's like people yeah, yeah. St- Bruce Wismanens is still orbiting that 80s comedy cloud. Bruce Wismanens' Weekend at Birdies. They're a film. Which I've not seen. I haven't seen that either, yeah. No, no, right. as a, a three-way not seen yep. Weekend at Birdies. Um, you know, somebody we used to know might have worked this group. Necrophilia. Like, uh, but uh, yeah, Bruce Wismanens. Yeah, I went in expecting car comedy classic and um, was like, fucking hell, this not got much laughs, has it? Like, I've got to it, see it. It's a good concept. It's a good concept. Um, interesting concept and like I said I, I did really like Richard Pryor in it it would have worked in that. the 40s like if I can imagine like yes a, yes you know, I'm talking about like a um, uh, you know Frank Capra Frank Capra and who's that very handsome man that uh, Tony Soprano loves oh uh, James Cackley no Henry Fonda no the one that says like why can't men be like that oh you're talking about um, Gary Cooper Gary Cooper high noon yeah who is in Mr. Deeds yes He's in Mr. Deeds. You can imagine Gary Cooper doing like a Bruce Yes, Williams Gary Cooper. It's just, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's like the strong, silent type. Yeah. Gary Cooper. Yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. There he is. Happy fucking Wanderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is news to me that Bruce's Millions is bad. <laughs> because like you say, I haven't seen it, but it's in my head being in that orbit. Like, 
that it, it coming to America, head, you go comedy yeah. classic, comedy classic. classic. Yeah. You've seen coming to America, right? Yes, yes, yes. But, but, I mean, but, right. they're, but they're making coming to America. Coming to now. America. To so, so is it <laughs> is it too much of a stretch for Bruce's Midden sequel as well? Like, is that going to happen? Well, like, is it is it that high up regard? Because coming to America is fucking good. Do you, do you believe in resurrection? <laughs> coming to America is fucking good. Coming to America like, is amazing. I, I watch it. Round pools, right? Um, back in the day, not when he was living here, pre-marriage, everything like that. Um, we were going to America, I was sleeping on his floor. And back in those days. I had a floor though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were come to America. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Exactly. And now Craig Brewer, director of Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan, is making yeah. Coming to America. And it's not the it's not the Eddie Murphy angle which is kind of exciting me about this project. It's actually Wesley Snipes. Is having a snipe, yes, snipe snipe snipe. Snipe. yeah, 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 uh, because he's like apparently like this warlord neighbor of like, uh, like his thing. I think there's comedy gold we mind here with Snipes yeah, as a warlord. Is he in? Um, because Craig Brewer has also directed Don White Is My Name, hasn't he? I think so. That yeah. is also and, and with, Murphy. Murphy's yeah. with Murphy, which is coming. So it really feels like they're working I together. Mean, this guy's has a few better directions now, hasn't he, Eddie? Like, you know, yeah, Dreams uh, Girls. Yeah. yeah, like, which he is good in. Yeah, come on, Eddie, make one stick. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. Could be Bowfinger, Dreamgirls, then this, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Bowfinger's really funny. It is really funny. Yeah, Bowfinger's great. Um, yeah, Craig Brewer did do Dolomites, wasn't he? There we go. So, Brewer is back after he's misstepped with a footloose rank. Uh, and yeah I'm looking f- I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to it I'm and, and I think it. it's difficult because it's like I would like Landis to be doing it because that his like sense of humour like makes Coming to America work like I think as well you know and he, and he managed to rein Murphy in because we're talking about Murphy at an era and we talked to Bob about Landis directed Beverly Hills got free Paul yeah. well no that's the thing oh, I suppose <laughs> anything post 1990 is difficult to sort of I mean, apart from Dream On on that note <laughs> We've talked volunteers, two and a half stars across the board. Yeah. Did uh, you have any remake casting ideas? Uh, oh, right, remake. Well, I said I wanted to do to direct. Okay. Uh, what to direct? To direct. Volunteers. Volunteers remake. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Volunteers remake. Are we going British with it? I'm probably not because I don't know any British. Well, I only have time just now <laughs> to, look at, to look at IMDb's top rated stars. So the people who are in the know right now. But how about... Bill Hader as Tom Hanks' character. Okay. Hayley, Hayley Atwell as Rita Wilson. Okay. And Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> as Candy. Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> For me, well, Ken Jeong, like, nobody's going to be Yeah, yeah you've like, said Ken Jeong. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to cut, like, one of the bad guys out, so it's going to be, like, just them and them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, like, let's dip into the, sh- you know, into, like, the uh, Wes Anderson verse. I think Owen Wilson as Prime would have made a great uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, Jason Schwartzman should have been a volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you know, maybe Adrian Brody too. I mean, let's go like full Darjeeling. Full Darjeeling on reunion. this. Like, it does fall, it's this Darjeeling. is the Darjeeling sequel. They all go back to Asia, but they go to Thailand this yeah. time. But here we had Rita Wilson, who, of course, is most famous for being Arnie's wife in Jingle All The Way. Uh, Put the cookie down! <laughs> go watch Jingle All The Way. Well, this is it. This I, is I, would, I would love to chat to Tom Hanks in general <laughs> but I would, I would love to I'd love to check the Hanks about this film because I imagine it holds a special place in his heart because of Rita Wilson because they met years oh, be- yes because of course they married yeah. they met years before on something else briefly and then reconnected yeah. on this are they still together yeah oh okay they're, well, they're one of the Hollywood's gone couples success well he did put in the 12 hours yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. at time of recording right I think we're done with volunteers yeah 
Yes. Um, it's been a... I've had a great time. I've had a great time. It's been great to be back as well. I've, I've missed this. Yeah, same. Yeah. Like, Spotlight and Movies the podcast has missed it. Life. I don't know if the podcast has missed yeah. it. You know, there's will... been some feedback that says some of the best episodes have been about me uh, from, <laughs> from, from certain quarters. <laughs> that was just me, right? To well, well, <laughs> when, whenever you're not here, we miss you, mate. Yeah. But the audience don't. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, we miss you. It's like, not the same. We're, we're flag at half mast. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's a triple hit. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, this has been a real nostalgia trip because yeah, original trio, original house, mm. original and group dot references too. I was gonna yes. do, I was gonna do social media stuff at the beginning, but I don't think I did. So find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Spotlight Pod. You can leave a five star review, five star preferable um, at Apple Podcast. Apparently, other podcasts bang on about how it makes us more visible. I don't know if it does. You know, I can't swear to you blind. Uh, but we just like reading reviews. It is a really yeah, nice thing for pleasure. us. Yeah. Yes. To see a nice five-star review from you guys that tells us, you know, what you think of the show. It's what we do it for. And, and our reach is definitely reaching far and wide, as recently Liam was spotted in public. Isn't that right? Well, not s- spotted, heard. Like, yeah. it says, I've been spotted by my face before, but I was at the London Podcast Festival. Heckling these person on the stage. Yes, and we were seeing the pilot TV podcast, uh, which features James Dyer. Previous guest. And Boyd Hilton. Previous guest. Who have also both been on the podcast. And I was talking uh, loudly to loudly and Cheering, is there any other way for you, Liam? It would, no, it's any no way, any, as you'll be hearing right now on this podcast. When you tell me this story, I was like, yeah, I can believe that someone heard your voice. And the guy <laughs> in front of me turned around and said, "Excuse me, you're from the Swap Club podcast." I was like, "Yes, I am." And it turned out that literally he was a fan of the Pilot TV podcast. He'd heard Boyd and James shout us out on there, which was lovely of them, of course, because uh, very popular um, podcast in the UK. And uh, he'd, off the back of that, listened to every single episode we've done in like a matter of months. A true spotlight. And uh, and then because of that, he recognised my voice and he looked up on Carvar social media while he was in front of me, going, "Oh, is it?" While he's been drowned out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, turned around and said, "Like, you know," and it was great. Uh, well, forever known for me as Joe Legend. Yes, Joe is his yeah. name. Joe Legend is his official name. This is for you, Joe. And he tweeted us, and he's a lovely man. And he left us a five star review. So, I mean, Joe yeah. Legend. Me or Joe? By be, more Joe. By Joe. Yeah. be more Joe. Be more Joe. is currently getting up the ranks as the number one spot player. Could anyone ever beat Simon Lee Ming? I, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, yeah, he's a friend to the show. He watches the Dark Tower, uh, so you don't have to. You know, uh, yeah, but he enjoys. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And now we've got volunteers for you, Simon, and the rest of you as well. Yeah. Uh, you can find this uh, to watch um, on no streaming services in the UK. It's not available. It's not available on any streaming services in the UK. So, if, I mean, if we've convinced you of our two and a half stars to watch it, you fucking can't. Um, <laughs> unless you get a DVD, uh, which is deleted in the UK. It literally, is fucking like 130 quid off Amazon or something like that. I love the people who find the person who's paying 130 pounds so, for that listing price. <laughs> if you, I'm a member of Cinema Paradiso, uh, which is a physical media subscription service where you can get Blu-rays and DVDs off them. Um, so, like Love Film used to be before it closed down. 
Um, Netflix used to be for it, like, turn into, like, yes, yeah, yeah. juggernaut. And I got volunteers from there. So you can, you can get a hold of it. Like, so there you go. Join Cinema Paradiso. Cinema Paradiso, feel free to sponsor us mm. anytime. Uh, I don't know, physical media for the win. Uh, so it's goodbye from me, Liam Dempsey. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Wilson. Is goodbye for me, Matt Brothers. Volunteer for the Peace Corps. Goodbye. Bom 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 for dang a dang dang for ding a dong ding blue moon 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 blue moon dip 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 moon moon dip 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 moon dip 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 moon dip 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 moon dip 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 dip